Hello, listeners. I'm John. Sitting to my right is Steve Reeder. Sitting to my left, Ronald James. This Hello. is movie schmovie. Movies. There should, movie there, there should be like some like cool sound effect that we have yeah. coming after that. <laughs> I feel like it should be like a game theme or, or something. Or, or like... movies schmovies. Movies schmovies. Yeah. <laughs> movies Chmovies. It's been a typo this whole time. The, the space was in it the looked wrong place. Off, it looked off to me. That's yeah, what right. it is. I should have left the S. So episode 77. Yeah, episode 77. And that's all that we need to tell you. Good hearing from you guys. Yeah. Have, a good, right. have a good evening. Old double seven. <laughs> 77 is what comes after 76, and that's uh, what we have to offer tonight. Right. So yeah. There you go. Yeah. We have a, a lot of ground to cover. Right? I, I feel like that's such a cliche thing to say. I feel like most of the we, things you we say have a lot of ground to cover. Cliche. I, and then chaos ensued. I think that's We have a lot of ground to cover. I think there's something really funny about cliches. Like something very like... <laughs> What's funny about them? Something very cliche about cliches. <laughs> It's like it's like a a pit a pit that you you sink deeper and deeper into it. It's something very funny about it. <laughs> Sinking deeper into that pit. Sinking deeper into that pit. Or up that creek shares. without the paddle. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. <laughs> Let's think out of the box, guys. Um, so yes, tonight we're actually going to do something we haven't done in a while, it seems. But maybe I'm wrong. It's been a few weeks since we've been in the in the same room together talking about new movies that that have come out. Have we all seen both movies that we're talking about, or has Ronald? No, I haven't seen Pacific Rim. All right, way to just way to just let them know what we're talking about. All right. Oh, <laughs> well, well, there you go. Yeah. There's a there's a spoiler. Well, you know, chances are you saw the name of this episode, Botched. so I don't know why we pretend there's any suspense. But yes, tonight we're going to be talking about two new movies: Pacific Rim, which came out last Friday, mm-hmm. uh, a sci-fi fantasy epic by Guillermo del Toro, and then uh, we're also going to be talking about a new horror film that comes out today, on the day that this episode hits your ear. Black old. Devil Doll. Black Devil Doll. <laughs> Re-release! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? The Conjuring. The which Conjuring. Is, uh, though this doesn't mean that much to me, from the director of Saw and Insidious. Whoa, that should mean so much to you, yeah, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to yeah. get into that. No, but as as uh, as it goes, I would say these were both, these were, these were our picks for July, right? Ronald and I both said Pacific Rim was our most <laughs> likely pick for this month, and Steve said uh, the, the Conjuring. Conjuring, and I feel like both movies were, you know, were successful summer yeah. movies for different I said reasons. Pacific Rim with some, with some hesitance, because I didn't want in, and I feel very weird investing in horror films for an entire month. But this has been a dry month, let's be honest. <laughs> a dry month. It's been a dry month. Pacific Rim, The Conjuring, and what what, what else has come out this month? July. Not, uh-huh. not really. The heat and well, stuff we're, like Well, yeah, we're still kind of in the middle of the month, so there's a few weeks yeah, left. There's yeah. some other things coming up, but so far it's been very dry. And then Wolverine's coming out. <sighs> that looks like a shit fest, right? Yeah, the new, trailers, right? the new trailers look all right, yeah. I think. Like, I, I, don't, I don't blame them completely. I mean... It's not the, Hugh Grant's the, fault. The last like Wolverine that. movie was was a shit pile. Oh. Hugh Grant? It's Hugh Grant in the Wolverine? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm there. Hugh Jackman. When's the advance tickets go on? <laughs> Hugh Grant. Is it they went with like the British rom com <laughs> angle with the Wolverine? He's playing the most charming kind of like, you know, he's like he's he's very kinda of, he mutters things in an amusing fashion. Love it's, it. His hair hangs down on his face. You yeah, had me Hugh, Hugh Grant. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. yeah, Hugh Jackman. Dicks. Well, I, I happen to be a fan of the story that they supposedly are basing it on from the mm-hmm. comics. There was a story about Wolverine being in Japan, mm-hmm. and it's kind of devoid of the usual superhero kind of storyline. So if they stick to the comic that they're supposedly basing it on, it's a good story. I don't gotcha. know if they stuck to it. but Right, right. But that's not the movie we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the new movie. So uh, first off, Pacific Rim. I know you saw it, Steve. What did you think? I was uh, I was a big fan. I mean, yeah. like it was a movie that I considered for my pick for this month. It looks It looked really... Uh, fun 
which is, I think, like what I look for in some of these summer box office extravaganza type movies. Um, you know, but then I mean, you you just you say Guillermo del Toro is involved with a movie, and you almost say maybe there's something more to it. And there there are moments in the movie where I felt like you might you, you may have gotten a little more than just what was on the screen in terms of some of the eye candy. Mm-hmm. But all in all, I mean, I think Pacific Rim is a super entertaining summer blockbuster action film. You know, you're talking about the realization of what a lot of well, a lot of us as teenagers probably had in our minds, like Saturday morning cartoons, like. I felt a lot of like Voltron kind of stuff like coming in my mind watching this, but it just seemed like just the, I don't know, like a like a mashup of, of, of every kind of action, technology, monster thing you could probably throw on the screen. And, uh, you know, all, all in all, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think I'd see a lot of, like I was telling you yesterday or the other day, John, it was like a lot of people that I know that saw it either said they were really overwhelmed by how much action there is because you're talking about you know, monsters and, and robots that are bigger than any skyscraper or, you know, mm-hmm. any uh, any kind of structure that we have in this world. And to give that scope, a lot of the scenes are kind of overwhelming. But, I mean, I think that's the, that's the world that they live in at that point, you know, where it, that's what it takes. But I, I don't know. I wasn't bothered by that at all. I mean, I didn't really feel overwhelmed. I mean, I felt like the action was shot in a way that I was clearly able to see what was going on. And... uh even like little things like the rain drops on the camera lens and like little pieces of the environment that you saw outside of the actual, um, you know, the robots. I mean, the the, the machines. and the, Yes, uh, we've been calling them robots all yeah, along. I, robots yeah. versus monsters. But yeah. it's actually, I mean, by I think technically these aren't robots. These are more like mecha or whatever you call it when it's it's like a suit that yeah. they're controlling. But I think for all, for all practical purposes, let's call them robots. Right, they, yeah. they look like giant robots. Sure. But I don't know. I had a blast with it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 little things I might pick apart or, you know, say we slowed down at pieces or, mm-hmm. you know, certain plot lines I didn't really care for, like with some of the other pilots getting involved with, and, you know, the little tension that was developed between a couple of them didn't really affect me or I didn't really respond to like maybe you're supposed to. But I mean, I thought it was a lot of fun. The, the idea of these giant, they call them uh, Jaegers, Jaegers yeah. which is German for hunter. Uh and the idea is that they've built these giant, you know, controllable suits that that are fighting off the kaiju, which are the monsters that have come up from these vents on the ocean floor that are from another dimension. And they're using this portal to invade Earth. There's all this setup that you get really in the first 15 minutes of sure. the movie that sets up the whole story. You know, it's hard for me to kind of looking back on it now, not filter my opinion of it through a certain amount of surprise that it hasn't been the word of mouth for it hasn't been stronger because I think it's a really successful fun big 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 movie i mean the scale of it and and as far as that you were mentioning del toro's name would seem to you know would seem to indicate there would be this this other aspect to it i think that what he brings to it is that attention to detail and that visual style so that so that it doesn't look like dumb action and i remember hearing certain things about the way that he he even though they most of their some of those scenes are just completely computer generated but they would make sure that the camera was motivated like they would they would plan out their shots and say okay well in this scene out in the middle of the water where's our camera oh it's on a helicopter and they would plan out the sh- the, the digital shot in a virtual reality that would suggest what a camera uh, could really do gotcha. so that even if it's completely digital they're not just zooming around things and doing things no camera could do so it's like the camera's either on a boat or it's on land getting a long shot or it's in a helicopter even though the environments aren't real they made sure to make sure that all those camera movements felt real so i think that it does have elements like that that make it better than the usual popcorn fare Sure. But in the end, it really is just a really, really well done B movie uh, that, to me, 
had so many ideas and so much imagination on the screen that, I mean, it, it was the first movie in a while that I found myself a couple days after I saw it really kind of just wanting to see it again, just just for the eye-popping aspect of it. But I don't think it did as well just because of Transformers. I mean, even... You I mean, mean you mean the pe- pe- people's bad people's feelings bad. about Transformers? Yeah, no, I just mean like it being something other than Transformers. It being... Because I think the Transformers went over really well. Whether I, I think it's a terrible set of movies, but... People are very simple when it comes to the way they choose movies. They'll, they'll say, okay, robots moving. That looks like Transformers. I'm not going to invest in this. So I, I don't, I think Yeah, that's I did why hear I someone do, say, it looks like a Transformer having I sex with Godzilla. I, I don't want to do well. see it. And I was just I mean, thinking like, like. It looks better than Transformers to me, yeah. but I, it, I don't think people aren't. It's also, it's also like a, not a known property, you know? It's like, yeah, it's an yeah. actual, it's like an original idea, which is, you know, they're kind of. Which as a movie buff, buff, like I'm excited about that. Sure, idea. yeah, like, like you would yeah. say that's a good thing, but you're talking about box office, you're talking about, yeah. I mean, it's a good point you make around about Transformers. Like Transformers is so successful and they have all these films in that series because to launch it, it's a known thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a relatable, it's, it, there's a reference point, yeah. there's an there's a attachment to it with a lot of people. Or like with Pacific Rim, a lot of people that are going to find this film are going to be people looking for that that sci-fi aspect or that action aspect or they're fans of somebody associated with the film. Yeah. I don't feel like this is the kind of movie that, that or even the kind of property that goes out and grabs yeah. a, you know, an audience based on its idea of what it is. Because it, it is yeah. it is very it is very genre uh, driven. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's not like a broad yeah. it would seem I guess what I'm getting at though is it would seem to me to be a very broad idea just because it is so geared towards like Look at this. You've never yeah. seen this before. And the scale well, of it and the achievement of it. it, it the, the trailers make it look like Transformers, though. That's the problem. Like It, it, it looks like generic Transformers. That's, that's why people don't... People are very simple, man. You have, like Proof of it is when we're in the movies and you hear some of the things. That oh, no, I say. agree with you. I, I, I mean, I remember when I went to see it on opening day um, You know, with a five-year-old. Let's talk about my parenting choices <laughs> at a later date. But still, I did find myself thinking, is this just too loud for a little kid? Or is this yeah. too much? But, I, you know, I saw Star Wars when I was four. So <laughs> I don't think of those things as really damaging your psyche. But my point being, I saw it and I had this kind of excitement about it. And I was so excited to see it when it first came out that I was, you know, that I, w- I was willing to risk uh, traumatizing my son <laughs> in order to see it quickly. And I was a little surprised looking around on a summer day for a movie like that at like a noon showing on the day it came out to yeah. see not that many people there. Yeah. It wasn't like nobody was there. We kind of had the similar conversation about John Carter last right, year right. which is like would all the elements was there any way this movie would have hit huge with it, with wide audiences at this point in time it's hard to know it's also like, when it comes to following directors they don't know Guillermo del Toro that's kind of what I'm saying yeah like, and yeah. then also on top of that I also think that Guillermo del Toro still hasn't hit his stride yet like I think that he's made some incredible works but his movie his movie that's gonna like do it hasn't come out yet. I don't know. I think Pan's Labyrinth was that movie. Pan's Labyrinth was a Wow, so it's really It makes me very sad if that's if that's the movie. <laughs> I love Pan's Labyrinth. I thought that's I think that's an incredible uh, movie. Yeah, somebody's been as the background noise, somebody's <laughs> I think running a tub of water upstairs and these are old pipes up above. So if uh, anybody hears what sounds like Freddy Krueger noises in the background, those spreading are spreading uh, around. Yeah. yeah, nothing to be scared of. No, I mean I think Pan's Labyrinth was a beautiful film and I think that it won him a respect that doesn't necessarily transfer to a movie like this, you know, or to box office. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah, 
It'll do. I think. I think that this movie is going to do incredible on DVD and Blu-ray. Well, I mean, like I said, I would watch it. I want to see it again. It reminds yeah. me of the way that, like Terry Gilliam, when he sets up a world, there's so much going on in a shot. Yeah. And I found myself, and this might be a. I don't know if this speaks well of the movie or not, but I did find myself at times kind of looking at all the machinery and wondering how much of that's, uh, you know, how much of that was constructed and how much of that is computer generated and yeah. how much of that's a set. But there was so much detail. I found myself being so impressed by that that even when the plot was moving a little slow or there were some, I wouldn't even call them sappy moments, just emotional beats that have to happen for the story they want to tell to, to be there. And sometimes that does drag a little bit because you can tell a character is going to eventually do something that the movie's acting like we don't know they're going to do yet. And there's right. little things like that that make it drag. But there's so much on the screen and there's so many ideas. And even though it screams out for a sequel, I mean, it ends in such a way that they could just jump right into this story again. Part of me wishes this wouldn't have a sequel because it kind of tells a, a, a story. And I love things that end, Ronald. I like, you know, if this yeah. were all we ever got, if it not being a huge success means we only get one. I'm almost happy with that because I like the idea that, it, I, I, I don't know, I'm sick of everything being a franchise and everything being part of a trilogy. Yeah. Sometimes you just tell a good story. But I think if this is a success or turns out to be one uh, financially, th you know, there's so many marketing opportunities for this. You know, Steve, you know what yeah. I'm saying? The toy lines, the toys. cartoons, the comics. You could spin this out into a whole universe. Mm -hmm. And that is what excites me about it is that it really does feel like the creation of something new, even if it's pulling from a million things that are very old. You yeah, know, yeah. but It's worth checking out. No, it was pretty yeah, shitty. Stay no, away. Okay. <laughs> it's a really good example of like where I'm excited about a movie and I'm like to my friends, let's go see Pacific Rim and really only like my girlfriend wants mm -hmm. to see it because she knows how bad I want to see it, you know? It's like there wasn't a lot of interest in my group of friends and I think that that's kind of speaking to what Ronald's kind of was mentioning earlier is that it just isn't, it's one of those original properties where it looks, it's big and it's it's bold and it's, and it's, it's a lot of awesome in my opinion after seeing it. But just in terms of marketing and getting a new audience for an original idea in the middle of the summer when there's so many other movies coming out, mm -hmm. you know, it's just really, really hard. I mean, and the crazy thing is, too, that, it, you know, it comes out, it came out against Grown Ups 2. Uh, for the weekend, it lost to Grown Ups 2. It I was about to say, we, we, thought it was, we thought it was robots versus monsters. It was robots and monsters versus Adam Sandler. Yeah, which is, <laughs> they're always going to lose. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Sadly. Like, it was in third place, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it, it's the kind of movie when you were talking earlier, it's like the fanboys, the geek movie. It's a movie that Friday, when it opened, it's number one at the box office. Everybody that wants to see it is going to see it that day. Right. You know, but then over the weekend it drops because Despicable Me Too is doing crazy business on Saturday, as is, you know, Grown Ups. But taking in 30 million on your opening weekend, only recently have we decided that that's not great for a new yeah, movie to do. Yeah, when the hell did I'm that sure have... with the marketing push it's gotten, they've spent a load on marketing that isn't even being reported as part of the budget. Yeah, Maybe think, I'm wrong about that. I think that. it also is just like. Uh, I think it's going to end up being, I mean, like it, on home video or whatever, it's going to make its money back. But from what could have been, it's, I think yeah. it's already been declared a, a like a loss or a failure, mm -hmm. not a loss. Like it'll make its money back, but it's that after, after this weekend, you know, we can listen, we can talk about it next time, but <clears throat> seeing like what it does in terms of word of mouth, like if, if it drops more than 45 to 50%, then it's going to, that's a bad sign. Yeah. You know, the, the production budget that I've seen online is like around 100 mil, 190 million. 190, right. So, I mean, it's like you said, worldwide, it's it's just about halfway there. But, I mean, usually a film that drops 50% or more, that's not good. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see what it does. I mean, but... Especially not for this type <clears throat> of film, you know? Yeah, at all. Um, and, you know, and it's in the middle of summer. There's tons of movies coming out. There's not going to be a lot of repeat viewings. You know, it's, you, don't, you don't get that kind of business this time of year like you do 
with a lot of the movies that come out in the fall and around Oscar season that gets those those people that go back and see it more than once. Um, there may be a couple here and there, but I, I don't know that this is going to be one of them. I do want to see this movie again, but I can tell you that with how busy the summer is, I don't think I'd be able to get and see it again. Mm-hmm. But I definitely say go see Pacific Rim. You know, if yeah. you're open minded to a new idea, that's gonna it's a fun ride, and visually it, it's stunning. I think I think all the fighting scenes are. They got me pumped up. I was cheering yeah. in the theater. Like I was like, yeah, you know, like I was, I was into it, sitting forward, re- ready to see the next punch. It's a positive message <clears throat> in that sense because it's about different nations teaming. I mean, this is going to sound a little sappy, but it's about different nations teaming up to, to right. fight a common foe. And there is something kind of there is something kind of uplifting about the, the the overall tone of it. I also thought Charlie Day and Bern Gorman were were very funny as the two. The two kind of nutty scientists. Yeah, they were, they were a lot of fun. I mean, and, I love Charlie Day. And yeah, uh, Ron Perlman was great in his <clears throat> scenes with Charlie Day as well. And I found myself <clears throat> thinking, this I just had the thought cross my mind because when Bern Gorman and uh, uh, Charlie Day had their scenes together, they're always around all these wacky gadgets and all this stuff they've assembled and they're talking all this nonsense science. It just made me think of Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. And years ago, they were talking about doing a new Ghostbusters and recasting it with new actors. And I thought, well, who cares about that? But I thought, if, if you get Ron Perlman, Charlie Day, and Bern Gorman... <laughs> To play the new Ghostbusters, I think you got a pretty a pretty decent start on it. Yeah, on you a go. Good There's a green right light there. right there. Yeah. So Hollywood, if you're listening, we know you are. Charlie Day in a Ghostbusters movie would be incredible. Yeah, I'd yeah, watch I, that. I like that idea. So yeah, go ahead, see Pacific Rim. I'd say go for it. Yeah, cool. So uh, now the one that you did see though, Ronald. Oh yes. I heard, I heard you speaking after we saw the film in the urinal, saying something, and it was it was it was I think it was about me. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, what did I say? Well, what did you say about me? I think I had. What are you doing, hanging with... out in the bathrooms, listening? I, I, Steve? I feel like I, you know. I gotta check it out once in a while. <laughs> you I... know, you were saying something along the lines like Steve. Uh, Steve called it. I think you said Steve called this. Oh one. yes, yeah. you did. I think man. he did say you, that. You did. I think I, I, re- guess... I should have recorded it because it doesn't happen <laughs> you very you often for you to submit it, that. You... The movie we're talking about is James Wan's James The Conjuring. <laughs> As the pipes kick in. Yeah, as the pipes <laughs> kick in. Maybe Very this... timely. Yeah, right. Saw director James Wan presents. <laughs> From the creators of Insidious. And I'm already out of the theater at this point. Insidious. No, I, you know, I will come right out of the gate saying that um, we've got a lot of ground to cover here. <laughs> Chaos will ensue. No, I, 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 I'll come right out of the gates and say that I have been extremely prickly and hard to please when it comes to recent horror films. Mm-hmm. There have been a few that people have liked a lot more than I have, uh, and this was one that I greatly enjoyed pretty much from beginning to end. I felt like it had a lot of control over what it was trying to do. It had a real story. It had real characters. It had real scares. And it, at you know just a little under two hours, <clears throat> it consistently delivered jolt after jolt. You know, Not like, wow, this is... I don't know what the fuck they're doing up there with the water. <laughs> Let's see. Hold on a second. I'm you know, gonna... you, they're probably watering the plants. I don't think, it's I don't, it's best on, to do it at night. Second. I don't think you're going to be able to hear it. So, yeah, someone was taking a shower, guys, upstairs. But so. more importantly, this this basement, this house is not haunted. Somebody was just taking a shower. Yeah. We don't need to call the uh, the Ghostbusters <laughs> or the, the whoever the current Warren, the Warrens, the Warrens yes. are. <clears throat> but yeah, we we're talking about the Conjuring, mm-hmm. and uh, just uh, I don't know where where we exactly were, but um, mm-hmm. I, I just want to say that I was in love with this film. The more last night, I was really bothered by the crowd we saw with, as always, you know, people bothering us during screenings, mm-hmm. talking and whatnot. But the more I was able to think about it, <clears throat> and just kind of like I don't know, just let it stew a little bit today, and talking with a, a coworker about it, the more I realized, you know, I last night it was like I really liked this movie, but today I, I definitely came to the realization that I did love this film. Um, 
I probably am. I'm, I get what you, you know, with the, with your feelings towards horror films these days, and it's very warranted. I mean, like, you know, mm-hmm. you, it's, it's sometimes it's like flipping a coin whether it's going to be something you even care to Or it's like waste you, you get very on. used to seeing a movie that maybe has two or three good moments and then nothing else. Going right, you usually it. see them in the trailer most yeah. times, which is even worse. But, um, yeah, I think this is a, definitely a standout film. I think this is a movie we talked about a a little bit on some past podcasts because you know this is a movie that filmed i mean that screened i think it was at comic-con or something in in last fall mm. and it did it had such a great kind of reaction at this advanced screening it was at the actually the new york comic-con mm. that it you know screened so well that the studio actually we're gonna dump it, it in january or something exactly at the beginning of thir- 2013 which january is a horror right a pretty heavy For horror, horror month, yeah which actually yeah. just relevantly today they or yesterday they announced that Paranormal Activity 5 <clears throat> has been pushed out of October of 2013 to January of 2014. Oh. Which is interesting. I don't know. They didn't really say if it's because they're still shooting or they want right, to right. capitalize on this horror. It's like January is now like a horror month. But anyway, that's a sidetrack. But pushing the film. Is there, like, any, is there anything else coming out at around Halloween that they want to move away Carrie from? Carrie is the other okay. is the one I think that they're trying to distance I, I thought from. that movie was never going to come out. When is that supposed to be coming out? It's in the middle of October, Ugh, like right around man, Halloween. I feel like it's... But putting but putting a film like The Conjuring, which I mean, for, for most, I mean, looking across this film's like checklist, you know, it's not really a well-known director. I mean, they can market it and say Saw and you'll Saw. people. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, they'll they'll know it, but they don't know his name. Yeah, it's true. You know, and really most of the cast you don't either. I mean, maybe Vera Farmiga. You know, if if you watched Bates Motel or you know like good actresses, you probably mm-hmm. know her name. Yeah. But um not a lot to like get people so you know when they put a movie like this in the middle of july when they decide to do that a lot of critics and you know just movie fans are like that's kind of weird you know dropping a film like this in the middle of a movie like pacific rim or superman just came out or other big movies you don't you don't usually release a horror film in the middle of a summer blockbuster season because they usually get buried yeah and it's really interesting that they decided to do that it shows a lot of confidence and a lot of uh just they think this film is going to have legs, you know, like a word of mouth kind of movie. And after seeing it, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't see how it can. <laughs> I mean, I would be shocked this movie does not do, you know, really good business. There were a lot of kind of filming techniques and just directorial choices in this that really did make this movie creepier. Every scene that there was a scare, there was something about the way it was shot or the way it was revealed or the way that it was staged that felt kind of fresh and original. Yeah, man, I'm going to say this again. I feel, feel like I'm always reemphasizing this um the only so i i just started getting into horror partially because of steve so the last good horror film that i saw was drum roll saw and the reason is all of these elements existed in that film it's just that like you said maybe he had to make a saw and literally the elements that make this movie good are things that were practiced in that movie the idea that like um the reason I didn't like Insidious is that it didn't have legs the way Saw did, and, and this movie did. What do, you, what, that, do you mean, what do you mean when you say it didn't have I legs? When I say it didn't have legs, it, it like it in had, box had, office or in story? No, no. I mean like story wise, it just had too many parts that felt dry to me that just weren't packed full of action the way it should have been for a horror film. No, this this did a really good job of kind of changing the mood through chaos happening all over the place. It's frenzied enough but still paced out enough that it feels, like I said, you can comprehend what's going on. It doesn't feel like it's being like watered down with just action for the sake of action. Everything kind of had 
a path. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It all made sense why things were happening the way they did. And it, even though the, in this <clears throat> world, it, it just, the, the thing that made it so fun for me, I'm gonna, like, like Saw did, was once it started, once you start to get pulled into the world, you start to follow the logic of everything. The demons do a certain thing. This couldn't be a demon because it was doing this. Why is this up here? Once you start thinking like that about a movie, that's when you're invested in it. And that's what makes it such a great, great, great fucking movie. And, okay, last thing. You're saying great, great, great. You're saying great, greats. Great, 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 great. All right. Did you like it more than Saul? Man, hard question. I I think so because it did something very intentionally. James Wan did this. He had to have done this on purpose. He purposefully made it like an old school horror film. Oh yeah, there, there were a everything lot of like seventies. Everything from in it. like the the way the title screen came down. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. The shrieky sort of sounds. The sound design is absolutely the, the crazy flip angles, like when they would be running in. You're the literally game. touching on every bullet point I had yeah. to talk Man. about this movie <laughs> it, it, in, in one breath. I love it. Right, Steve. I was watching it and I felt like. I was like, he's right. This is the best. Fuck. This is it. Maybe it was better than. See, the, I don't want to. I, I don't want to oversell it. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, what I want to say to people is, if you're a horror fan, this is a really, really good horror film. Yeah. Like, it's not. It didn't. It doesn't reinvent the genre, and that's what's so great about it is that it's just a really good example of the genre. So it's like let's scale it back a tiny bit because oh, yeah. I do think it would be possible to oversell it in the sense that it doesn't necessarily go to places you've never seen before. It just does it in such a controlled way and and with enough characters that you care about and enough kind of comic relief, um, it does still. What's the word I'm looking for? It it still feels it almost felt like it was it was a little bit of a pastiche of of a seventies horror film because of yeah. right down to the pacing and everything. But to me, it just it just indicates that they knew they had something kind of special, and they everyone seems to have really kind of nurtured it. And there's this Embrace feel, that. and there's this. I mean, I, again, I love it when movies don't have sequels, but I can feel the sequel coming to this. They've already, I think, and why they've not? Already, they've because already... the Warrens, again, the true, the real people that this movie is based on, they have, they have tons of cases that could be turned into movies. And they, I even read an interview with Lorraine Warren, who is alive today, where she was stating about, they asked her, were there any other cases of yours that could make a movie? And she mentioned one in particular that took place in England that she said was one of the craziest uh, things they ever encountered. As someone who doesn't really believe in the kind of paranormal aspect of all this sometimes the air can kind of go out of an idea to me when i realize it hinges on you kind of believing this stuff Mm -hmm. but um i think what it did in the case of this movie was it provided that structure that we've talked about before with horror movies that when when you get into the supernatural you need to have rules yes and this movie having rules great even though i don't ascribe to some of the ideas behind the whole idea of like demonic possession and having to be you know specifically christian to drive the demons out it gave this movie a framework that meant you knew kind of what the rules were and you knew what the stakes were and you knew what the answer to the problem was i love that the warrens like went to people's houses and were like no this is not that that actually is what made me like it even more that's yeah. a really good point. they went to people's houses and they were like no this is you not, have bad pipes or yeah something like that. This, which it would be shitty to me if i watched a movie and they were just like every time they went to someone's house they're like there's an entity in here this is evil yeah because love, there's no objectivity there yeah, like, you, yeah, think, no, yeah you have to know yeah. you have to know how professional these guys are their gauge of what's real what's not they I included that it. scene to let you know that they're not charlatans for sure you know? yeah, yes yeah. yes and that's a really good oh, point I love because that. here's the thing too that really scared about this movie is that i got this sense of once they got involved with the parent family um this sense that 
the, the like knowledge. The parent family so, being the yeah, Ron yeah. Livingston and L- Lily Taylor. Yeah, and, and their and, and their five four daughters. Five daughters. It took me a while yeah. to realize that there were actually that many different daughters. <clears throat> yeah, that's, this five. is the family that moves yeah. in this house. The film is based on, but. There's a moment when, you know, when Ed and Lorraine uh, Warren get involved with this family and they do decide to come and check it out and they are telling them, you know, this is an issue. Because you have that setup of them walking around and they go to universities and talk about it. They're very serious and, and dedicated to this and they go to this house and they say, no, it's your boards, it's your, it's your pipes, you're, you're fine. When they go into their house, the parent house, and they react the way they do, that there's something that like... Their knowledge of the situation versus like the ignorance of somebody that doesn't know it, mm-hmm. seeing them scared and them react to it yeah. when they have the knowledge, that's where I feel like this film kicked it up for me. Yeah. Because it happens a lot. Of, it even happened in Insidious, you know, to a point when they bring in that woman and they're scared. But in this movie, it was just way different to me because I never believed that that woman wouldn't go into a house and always say, "Yes, you're you're possessed. Yeah, yeah. Or, yes, mm-hmm. you're haunted. Yeah. Pay me." You know, they were they were talking about that in that film, but in this movie. That never even came up. That never question. I never questioned yeah. their honesty because I mean, the thought to put in a scene like that is so good. In some ways, you're like, so that's a throwaway. Good. Why do I need to care about that scene? But you're. But then when you see them when they get to the parent house, it really carries a lot of weight because yeah. you're like, they're legitimately scared. And they're like, trying to play it off in front of all of the family. Well, they're like yes. trying to. There's also a moment it. before that where you see that the parents have had like this this increased. Like the haunting begins pretty much when they when they move into this dilapidated old house. Which why the hell would they move into that shit box? That was of the a house? terrible house. It was a good deal, John. <laughs> yeah, right. Good deal. Um, on a trucker salary with five kids, what do you do? But move into a shit box. Uh, but no, she. Um, nothing against truckers. I'm sure there's some really rich we just truckers. lost two listeners. Yeah, I know. There's probably a couple shit. of truckers. were like, think about people that listen to us on the long haul, though, Steve. They probably are turning off in disgust now. Um, no, ten four, good buddies. No, but um. <laughs> but when they there's a scene right before that where you see that the the haunting's kind of escalating at the parent house and then you see them get a call and they go out to investigate and it's a different I think that part of that was a little little switcheroo because you you keep waiting for the two storylines to intersect because yeah. we meet the the investigators and we meet the family and we see we keep waiting. When are these people going to find out about them? So, like that scene with the family that was just having the noise in the pipes, yeah. that was kind of thrown in there, also to kind of show you, nope, it's not that easy. It's not going to happen that quickly. Like, and also that this yeah. family is a little bit, they're a little ways off from from getting this far into it that they decide they need to bring in these these investigators. Because I mean, imagine in your own life how much it would take for you not just to admit there's something really weird going on here. I mean, everything from bruises appearing on the mom's body to the kids thinking that they're seeing things and hearing things hearing at things, night. Yeah. But it's nothing tangible until it all just goes to hell. And then at that moment, you know, then it makes perfect sense that, that the mom would reach out to these people. But everything about it, like even that, the notion of bringing in psychics and, and, and demon hunters to, to investigate your house, it doesn't feel corny. So many movies, when they bring that element in, it feels like this is the expected element. You've got to have the person that comes in and says this house is possessed. And in this story, it just felt like, like you said, Steve, because it felt like these were professionals who knew what they were talking about. We were watching them as they were kind of poking around. We've seen them do their thing enough in the movie at this point that we really are watching like the way they're investigating. And particularly with Vera Farmiga's character, the way they show her reactions to things. And then later we get a sense of what she was actually seeing when she comes in because she's clairvoyant. Um, That aspect of it was very, 
again, it, a system of, of subtle reveals that create suspense and keep paying off. The movie was just really, I mean, I, you know, I, I thought it was pretty ingeniously structured as far as that goes. Yeah. Which, again, that's not something I usually think when I go to see one of these horror movies. Yeah. And then sonically. I mean, talk about it. We didn't even talk about the sounds. Like, there are scenes that are done so well. Like, the mic scene in the basement where uh, mm-hmm. one of the investigators is mic'd up and he's, like, listening to everything. And he kind of puts the mic down because he's like, nothing's in here. When he does it, he puts it down, and you can hear how he's hearing it yeah. as as everything's going on in the background. Right, things like that, and you um, can really hear in that scene in the basement too. You can hear the the we're seeing it point of view of the the handheld camera yeah. that the the cop is carrying, and we're hearing the, yeah. the rattle of that from the mic. You know yeah. that the guy's holding. All that was like it really puts you in the so moment. So good, and and to put you in the scene, frequently there'll be three or four adults standing around in one of these scenes, and a lot of times in movies like this, the fear kind of goes away when a person's not alone. Yeah. But this movie managed to make even a room full of adults yeah. seem like they were completely shit out of luck when this stuff started going down. Absolutely. It. Yeah. Yeah. The, the scene with the with the one daughter is getting thrown around. Yeah. And literally all three or four male characters in a, in a brightly yeah. lit room. Yeah. Too. In the daytime. Yeah. Uh, I think it was in the daytime. Well, it definitely was a brightly lit yeah, room. Yeah. And like all three or four males. Yeah. Are trying to to stop yeah. it and they can't. And, still and literally, like... as it takes Lorraine getting scissors and and yeah. and cutting the girl's hair. But I mean, that just shows the helplessness. And I, it's good. I I just and I, and I like that as well that you know there are some of the quick jump scares you know that a lot of horror films have and even like you know Insidious had a lot and even Saw um, but I think it does a really good job of just kind of taking you up to that ledge of if the next one had happened in sequence you'd be like that's probably too much yeah. mm-hmm. you know I, I there was a moment in the movie where I was like if it's another one of these quick ones I might say nah come on like you know give me something else but then literally when that when that a moment, right when that moment's about to come something else happens it's an element of sound yeah. or camera work the camera work I thought was incredible it yeah. was all the scenes where you know there's a scene where um, I think it's Lorraine goes she go to go outside it's it's when it's it's towards the climax towards the end of the film Lorraine comes upstairs to go outside and the camera follows her upside down and turns around and shows yeah. the the sound guy on the second level of the house mm-hmm. and then it flips over again to catch her walking back in the house and just yeah. continues to rotate and it's really slick. I mean, it, really, and it lines really up. I mean, and it, it it completely shows not only the scope of what's of there's there's multiple things happening right now in this scene that are really important things. One with the mother, one with the child, mm-hmm. and different people addressing them. Mm-hmm. But it also shows just how that that motion kind of takes me for a loop physically. Yeah. Watching that scene because you yeah. do feel extremely exhausted. Like, yeah. oh my God, this shit is going through the fan in the basement. They can't find this kid. Yeah. This camera's flipping around. Yeah. And it just keeps me off balance. It didn't get boring in between the scares and there were more scares than I expected. Yeah. And I would even say beyond that, though it does start off a little rough, like I don't know that Lily Taylor uh, or Lily Taylor and uh, Ron Livingston's characters, as far as the way they acted them, I don't know that those characters really jump out of the screen necessarily. I felt like some of that early yeah. stuff was a little stagey and it was feeling a little corny, but I'm talking yeah. about for a few minutes. Like once stuff started happening, yeah. I really felt like everybody's performances really came up. And I thought uh, in the end, I thought Lily Taylor carried a lot of really difficult material oh, yeah. really yeah. well in this movie. I, I think it was supposed to be, I, I think if they were any more out there character wise, I think they would have taken away from everything that was going on like if they were too like ah 
No, I just meant like, they, they seemed like bad. the acting was bad. Oh, yeah, the yeah, acting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the first kinda, few minutes, I felt it was, yeah. what are we doing here at this house? It looks beautiful, honey, don't you think? You know, there was a lot yeah. of that kind of stuff. She She's like that on a lot of stuff. And are people gonna I don't move think into, she's a bad Are, are people going to move into a house like this? I mean, it happened in Sinister, too, where they, like, just couples moving into houses where they don't seem to know anything about the house they're moving into. Yeah. Like, in this movie, they discover a basement that's been boarded in. I sort of feel like... If I was in, I mean, I guess maybe nowadays that's common. Is this is the seventies, John. Yeah, maybe so. You're right. The they 70s. didn't have Google. Yeah, yeah, not only, yeah, not only did they not have Google so that you could get a tour of the house before you moved in, <laughs> but another thing they apparently didn't have because what does Ron Livingston ask for when he's heading down into the dark basement? For matches. The first time? <laughs> yes, for matches. <laughs> he, Fucking you know, long matches. I know for a fact they had oil lamps in 1971. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we had what we used to call electric torches or. Flashlights. flashlights. <laughs> back in 1971, we even had a little thing called candles back in 1971. Yeah. But no, he says, "Can I have matches?" And if someone had asked him why, he would have said, "Because it'll be a really cool visual as I go down, and I have to keep relighting sure, a yeah. new match to keep it lit." However, I will give them credit for, even though that was sort of contrived that he would choose to light his way with matches, I do give them credit for when he did light a match. It was a believable amount of match oh, yeah. light. So often in a movie, when someone lights a match, it's as though a whole team of lighting directors have turned on lights in the room yeah. and it's very kind of you know overlit but, but in this case also, it really I, did feel like they they kept it true there's a lot of scenes where someone's in a room and we're only seeing what they would see based yeah. on the dim light that's there or based on what they could actually see and it added to the atmosphere that's really cool but five matches at the same time yeah. and that was, was kind of crazy <laughs> I, lo- I love your detail that they were long matches they were big yeah. long matches yeah, they were, they were super love, long let's be honest though they just moved in they didn't unpack the candles <laughs> with the flashlight come on yeah the benefit. and they were super poor from my understanding Could, don't they have like a piece of wood with like a, a, a rag soaked in cloth tied to the end of it or something? Couldn't they do that? You know, very Indiana Jones. Yes. Hold it up. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I, I I did in in being able to sit on it for a little bit and think about it. I, oh I, yeah. I, I genuinely did love this film. I actually will see this movie again in theaters. Same. I will need to see like I want to watch a matinee or something where like nobody's in the theater because like I mentioned like we always have issues. <laughs> it always happens where a fight about it almost breaks out. You know, people just don't, and especially with horror movies. I know we, I always say it, but like, people just talk the whole time. You yeah. know, and well, people seem to have uh, accepted that that's what you do now. That like, that's part of going to I'm see a stuck, horror movie. I guess I'm stuck somewhere. No, else. I agree with you. Like, I thought I felt bad early in the movie. Now it's usually me that's sitting next to someone who won't shut up. So this time I was at least glad that it was down the line. But I didn't know it was ruining your time. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I did hear someone early in the movie when someone's talking to one of the paranormal investigators, Earl Warren. It's when uh, Sh- Sherman Hemsley comes into the uh, <laughs> comes into the home office. The guy who's doing an interview with him, yeah, like the guy with a nice fro, the only black guy in the movie, the only black person. It was only we only had one black guy in 1971, Ronald. Yeah, barely. But uh, when he's talking about all these artifacts he has that are possessed, and and the guy asks him, the guy who's interviewing him, says, uh, you know, why don't you destroy? these objects instead of keeping them. And he mm. says, well, sometimes it's best to keep the genie in the bottle. And a woman behind me went, mm-hmm. You always need that, that yeah. confirmation. I just like the idea that she's a paranormal investigator. She's like, mm-hmm, we've all been there. We, it's better to keep the demon in the artifact. We all know that. Don't I think you're talking about Ed Warren, right? That, what did I say? You said Earl. I never would have I don't think he. Ha- I don't think Judge Earl Warren had anything to do with this movie. No, you're right. It was Ed Warren, played by Patrick Wilson, who is apparently now the guy, it- the go-to guy for these movies. Every you know? time I see him, I think about uh, Watchmen and him having sex with Lena Dunham who? on Girls. Lena Dunham? Oh, oh, in Girls. I thought yeah, you were talking about girls. having sex with her in Watchmen. I was like, I no. missed that cut. No, 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 no. In, in Girls. No, that was with Malin Ackerman. Yeah. That he's having. There was. With. You didn't yeah. know that. You didn't know that Lena Dunham was played by Melina Ackerman. <laughs> <was> like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's why. <laughs> that was uh. so often in these movies. One of my big complaints is 
the and it's happened in this one in a major way, which is the person gets up in the middle of the night and they're encountering these scary things and these incredibly noisy things are happening. And there's like <laughs> six other people in the house and nobody else is waking up. Now, I know some people are deep sleepers and I know that there's, you know, we're supposed to think this is like a big house, so maybe often there are bedrooms, people aren't hearing them. But I do think some of these sounds in this movie, because they've gotten so good at making that sound design so horrifying, yeah. that it almost overplayed it and made it seem like a truck hit the house, everyone should wake up, Whereas if they toned down yeah. the sound design a little bit, then maybe I wouldn't be sitting there going, "This family, what do they do? Take sleeping pills before bed?" Or that something. big crash that occurred. The, yeah, I was, I was petrified. Yeah, I was, I was petrified. Like, what, what, what was that? Nobody's, nobody was awake from that. Yeah. That's a part of the fun, though. I think in sometimes watching these horror movies because you're like, and this is a part of the pre- <laughs> reason that a lot of people yell out at the screen. Yeah, is that you're like, "Oh, don't go in there!" And John's the guy's like, "Now come on, wake up, come on, like, like, guys, you would have heard that." Come, come on, one of you, one of you five daughters, wake Get up. Get the cotton out of your ears. Right. It's like you in every other every mother. other scene, everybody's laying awake in their bed, too afraid to sleep. So this one night, everyone's. Like, but I mean, that's the kind of complaint that I feel like I'm being a fuddy duddy because the fact that it's taken me out of the movie is why I almost wonder if there's a way is if is it something that they do just to make the scares more powerful that in a way works against the reality of the film to some extent. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I would say the one scene in the daughter's, like the middle daughter's room where the two girls are in the room, you were talking about the kind of tricky shots and stuff where the girl hangs upside down under the bed yes. and she's looking at the room upside down. Yeah. And I was so tense during that whole scene. And then even when she sits up and she's looking and there's the indication that maybe there's something hiding behind the door in their room, Woo! that scene may have been the scariest scene in the movie to me. The yeah. one, the one where I was there. the most like just frozen. Because how many times have you ever been like in a tent or on a, at a sleepover or you know sleeping at your cousin's house or something and you and another kid are yes. awake and you think you hear something or you think you see something it really you, you i mean i'm even getting yes, chills right I now can just, feel just, it just right thinking now. about it that it really is true. Like you're frozen in place and you just you know you feel like you're powerless against this thing. not only frozen but then when she makes the uh, when she makes the decision to move and mm-hmm. like look at the bottom and then she stops and she's like i'm look on the side yeah. Yeah. and she doesn't see anything but then when she comes up it's just like those decisions that you make when you feel like you're frozen, but you're somehow doing something. Yeah. And then immediately you're like, why did I do that? You mm-hmm. know, you're like, oh, now what do I do? Yeah. And that happens like three times in that scene when she looks at the foot of the bed, she looks under the bed, mm-hmm. she turns to look in the corner, and the entire time the other sister is sleeping still. Yeah. You know, and, and she's only experiencing this And herself. in terms of movie language, oh, there's something so that this movie yeah. did really well that I found myself admiring more and more the more I thought about it was just what you just said, Steve. There's two or three setups in that scene where based on what we know about horror movies and based on what we know about framing up these shots, she's going to lean down. She's not going to see anything. She's going to lean up. Something's going to be there. Oh, wait. She leans up. Nothing's there. Then she looks on the other side. Oh, she's going to lean down. She's going to be upside down. When she's looking upside down, something's going to walk up to the... Oh, wait. No, that didn't happen. Yeah. And most movies just don't have this many ideas and this much to reveal. You know, And and, and to keep you guessing. Like, I think that that's a... that's that's. In a nutshell, that's what I think. Of all the great things that we've said, or I know I will say I've said great things, and I know you guys enjoyed it a lot too. But I love this film. One of the takeaways for me is just that inventiveness of you're not. It's not redefining a genre. It's not breaking any real mold. It's it's working in a in a in a series or in a type of film that is was very successful in the 70s, and and there have been some since then that have been, you know, in this same vein. But what this film does so well is it takes those sensibilities and puts it into a modern day. Rhythm. I think even though it fits really well with those the, the pacing of those films, there's a rhythm here that gives you the quick scare that an audience wants. Mm-hmm. That they, they they want that quick jump scare 
at times. But then it, but then when you get one or two of them, and then it jumps in with the one that John just said, where the girl, there's three or four spots where she should have been scared by now. And that makes you so uneasy yeah. when you realize you cannot predict what actually is going to scare you in this scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some films do it, and there's been a couple things here and there in certain movies over the past three or four years in horror movies in scene, not as a whole. Not and a whole. I feel like this movie from front to back, there's a really nice balance of throwing you off guard where it has that quick scare. Yeah. You know, a door slams or, uh, you know, the clap game, I think is one of the one of the scariest yeah, scenes. Yeah, hide and clap. And, and you know, those are long, drawn-out things where you're not like, when yeah. when is this going to scare her? Because you know it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. But it just makes you wait and, and it makes you guess and you almost feel as vulnerable as the character does yeah. having no idea what the hell's about to happen mm-hmm. and you almost get to the point where you're like, maybe I don't either. And yeah. there's a couple scenes where I genuinely thought that the one with the girl in the, the bed. Yeah, the two girls in the room. That, that is was... that is one of the because there's so many things like the other girl could have gotten involved. Yeah. With you know being a part of the scare. Yeah. You know things under the bed which would have been the quick things or in the corner, and even when the other daughter gets involved, there's there's multiples you well, know the, the, well there's so many ways that that's scary because even in that moment there's the suggestion that there's something we're not seeing that one of the girls is seeing exactly. or maybe she's only imagining it or maybe it's really there or maybe we're about to see it or maybe we're never gonna and it's like yeah, yeah I mean I remember sitting there at that moment kind of just just stuck still and tense so yeah yeah Come on. I, I would remember in that scene just saying like kind of what you just said like the younger girl could see something and I'm like, am I going to be able to see it? Or yeah. am I going to see it through the eyes of the older sister who isn't seeing anything, yeah. but is genuinely scared still? Right. You know, she's kind of playing it down. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? But you know, as she walks to that corner, you know, that she's not sure mm-hmm. she's scared. But then when the door shuts, then she's scared. Then they're all scared. Whether or not she saw something, something happened. Yeah. And it affected them each differently because one was a little more vested in that scene. But that's one thing in this movie. The ghosts are good at shutting the door in a way that makes it stay shut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the ghosts are good at getting the door to shut and then doesn't matter how many people are trying to get in on the other side or trying to get out on the other side it's like uh, a lot of have you know, did you notice in the movie a lot of men were like get out of the way let me handle yeah, this right. <laughs> every time the door would close a man would say hey let me handle this move move never was there's only once that they got through, right? Well, that's, that's one thing I do of... remember about the 70s is even at home, we didn't let women open doors. <laughs> <laughs> they just can't be trusted with that kind of heavy machinery, Ronald. I got this. Move aside. But yeah, The Conjuring, I would definitely, I mean, as a fan of horror. My daddy taught me how to turn a knob. <laughs> Wait a minute, this door won't shut. It's ghost shut. Ghost shut is super shut. This door won't open. It's demon shut. It's ghost closed. <laughs> ghost closed. Yeah. Ghost closed. It does. It's like ghosts manage to close a door. It's just like there's a time release on how, how long it, you know, it'll yeah. open up a few seconds later when it's not as scary. But, yeah. But this movie also played around with all those little cliches that, that have become cliche, but it did them in a, I mean, like even the scene when the team of experts comes in and they're setting up all their equipment around the house, a scene that I feel like we've seen a hundred sure. times. You've seen it in Insidious. I enjoyed that some of the technology was very high tech mm-hmm. and some of it was super archaic. For like, the time. Yep. You mean high tech for the time? Yeah, yeah high yeah, tech yeah. for the time. They're like, they're like, let's put strings and bells. Yeah, and black lights. And then and then they had like temperature, like thermometers, thermometer and trigger cameras. Yeah, that I thought it was cool just to see how, you know, they had two ver two two things kind of going on at the same time. They had this modern, well, for the time, modern technology with very simple ways of. They MacGyvered it. Yeah, they, 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 they MacGyvered it. All before there was those. a MacGyver. Yeah, I was about to say, before there was even a MacGyver. <laughs> yeah. But go go, go see The Conjuring. Uh, yeah, it's a go ahead. For a horror film, anything, it's just a really, really great... Sum- I mean, even for some, it's just a good time. I mean, seeing it with an audience has its benefits of, of the shared shock value and 
you know, being a part of that collective, ah, you know, when you get that scare of the jump. So there is some benefits to it. So if you don't mind people talking in your ear and ruining your experience, go ahead and do that. <laughs> I think but, Steve had a particularly bad experience where that's concerned. I was always. I was annoyed, as you in general are, with the, your, uh, especially at an advanced screening, you get these audiences that don't seem to care about the film as much. But horror films draw that type of audience, too. So you have this this perfect storm of people that feel like it doesn't matter how much they talk in a movie versus people that feel like you go to this type of movie to hoot and holler, you know? Yep. And so you've got those two elements combining. It does cut through the tension at times. But the one thing I can say is that was a packed house, and there were some moments where you could tell it was super effective. Oh, and sure. Again, it was fun to be part and that, of that. And that at times can be worth it. And it was fun to be part of that just as a horror fan and to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this. Uh, <clears throat> I'm definitely seeing a movie that I could I could recommend to a lot of my friends who are into horror. Absolutely. You know, and not just ones who are open to new horror. This feels like something something else. So I hope and pray that this movie makes $100 million. Me too. Yeah. I, I think it can. I think it could, actually. And opening weekend in the ballpark of maybe 30 to 45 mm -hmm. would be really good. And what do horror excited. films usually do? Do you have any numbers, Steve, for us? About I mean, like, what, would be your, what would be a success for one of these? What, well, I mean, pretty much anything that they made a sequel to, you could say on paper is... Yeah. Uh, would would be considered a uh, what do you call it like a just a box office hit. Yeah. Well, the, the, also just in terms of keeping in perspective is that a lot of these movies cost nothing to make. Mm -hmm. You know, compared to a Pacific Rim. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't find a a budget for um, the Conjuring. I couldn't either. But I mean, I know a movie like Insidious, the prior one, made for 1.5 million and it made 54 million. It's one of the most successful hard. Hold on, it made one point five. It, it cost was made for one for one point five million dollars. Yeah. Insidious. Wow, was. I thought that it was it made no. way more money. No, yeah, yeah. The wow. Insidious made for nothing. Like this year, The Purge, not really a horror film. Yeah, but I mean, I think some people would probably lump it into the same. A movie that was made for nothing, and I mean, it's going to probably be the most successful film of the year in terms of box office because. It's it's already that film has already made sixty four million and it was made for three million dollars. Right. You know, and I, I don't know what the benchmark is for horror. If you could probably look up a genres on like box office uh, mojo, but it, if if it makes fifty or sixty, seventy even at the box office, that's a huge hit because most of them don't cost more than fifteen to twenty million to make. Right. You know, in, in most studio systems because they don't they won't invest that money because they don't usually get over you know into the six digits or whatever. Paranormal Activity films, like you know, they don't they don't cost anything. They make hundreds, hundred over a hundred million. I think all of them except for the maybe the last one didn't cross a hundred million. But I mean, I would love to see this movie because it's so fresh and it feels so good to watch a movie like this. And and the fact that there really isn't a whole lot of people involved with it that would put butts in the seat. They're going for a horror film. Mm -hmm. They're not going for a name. Like they're going maybe if they say from the guy that brought you Saw and Insidious, but which would, would which might have kept me away had I not seen all this great advance. Or oh, not wouldn't have kept me away, but from the maker of Saw and Insidious doesn't doesn't get me in the seat like with a lot of excitement. For me it oh, was sure. for me it was the the materials like when when they that trailer that came out for this a while back where it was essentially the super creepy hide and clap scene. Sure. You know, that trailer got me hooked. It, right from that, I could tell that they had a couple of good things up their sleeve. But I, again, I still expected maybe that would be the scariest scene in the movie. But it, you know, it's in the, it's in the top five, but it's not, it's not by far the only thing the movie has to offer. So, sure. I mean, I'm looking at Box Office Mojo now. I mean, they break it down differently in the horror genre. But I mean, most of the films that we would probably be talking about, like the Saw films, like the 87 million Saw 2 was the highest one, mm -hmm. you know, in that whole like torture horror kind of thing. They have the Sixth Sense on here, which is, that was huge. That was like 
the exception to the rule, I think. Well, yeah. I hope we can be part of the uh, word of mouth that that propels this movie into you know. So please, if you're listening to this, go, if you're a movie movie fan movie. and you you if you do anything involving the movies you go see based on anything we say, uh, you know, take our recommendation on this and go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, see it. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> If you're only going to see one this weekend, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring with The Conjuring. I'm going to stick with my pick for July. Mm-hmm. But if you can see two, why not see Pacific Rim and The Conjuring? Yeah. Make it a double whammy. Double whammy. You could just buy a ticket for one and sneak into the other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah. So, well, actually, not that I... you know, I think with both these movies, we want, we, they might need your help, so. Yeah. Oh, good point, John. Yeah. <laughs> so borrow money from somebody. <laughs> borrow money from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, both great films, both a lot of fun. And uh, it's it's kind of a great thing to have back to back weeks of movies that we really enjoyed. So mm-hmm. it's good stuff. Yeah, check them Anything out. Anything else, Ronald? John? No, not that I can think. I saw the Old Boy uh, the for the first time ever. The original. I'm um, I'm looking forward to the Spike Lee one. I, it was a little more silly than I thought, but I thought it was such a good movie. Yeah, it was good, and it's got a couple of great scenes in it. You know, yeah. there's that fight scene in the hallway that is oh just yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I was. Do you think was, they're gonna? Do you think they're gonna stick? With the the crazy ending of that, like for the American the, version, well, I mean, well, it almost seems like why make that movie if you're not gonna go there? Well, Spike Lee said that it was gonna be based more on the graphic novel, so I don't know what. I think the graphic novel might be even more. So, yeah, even more crazy. So yeah. I don't know what portions he's gonna choose from that and and do. But yeah, if they did that ending, oh man, I don't know if I don't know if American audiences are ready to stomach that craziness <laughs> what i'm excited about dog tooth like ending is gravity right now I, oh I gotta man give me some, what, what is gravity, gravity about is i what don't I'm know wondering. yeah right like, what kind of movie is it gonna <laughs> i'm be? trying I not to read des- too much about it i heard it. it described as a sci-fi film so if it takes that that what we've seen from the trailers yeah. and it turns that into like more of a of a sci-fi thing i could see that being really crazy every every scene of her struggling to grab it is is crazy but the one where she's twirling yeah and reaching, you see like her extending just, her hand, and then yeah. it cuts. Yeah. Oh man. That's Alfonso Cuarón, yeah. right? So uh, he's like a great visual stylist, and he always puts together a couple of great sequences. And knowing that he probably wouldn't make a movie like this without having some mind blowing way of saying all these crazy things happen all within one shot or yeah. something like that. So you know, he's another guy who, when you see his movies, you don't always know how he achieved what he achieved cinematically. Things. You know. I want to see. I'd watch that in 3D. The opening. The this opening year. shot of Gravity is one continuous 17 minute long shot. Okay. See, there Whoa. you go. That's what I mean. You can trust him to put together something crazy Whoa. like that. Yeah. yeah, I was reading well, an article. I love stuff like there's that. There's 156 shots in the entire film. Wow. Which is insane. Yeah. And there's multiple, like, 8, 6, 10, 12-minute shots throughout the movie. 150, just? In, that, only 156, which is which is low. Just 100, that, yeah, yeah, that's super low. Yeah. Wow. That's going to... It's going to be good. It's going to be I'm good. for that. Yeah. When's it come out? Oh, October. It's in the fall in October, I think. Yeah. $80 million. I thought it was going to be way more money for some reason. We'll probably do a fall preview at some point, you know, guys? It'll probably make its way on there. Anything else? I'm good. I think that's it. Go see The Conjuring. As usual, you've made our day. <laughs> <laughs>